At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we will be joined here in a little bit by Cal State Northridge coach Dave Serrano, also our former colleague here at Baseball America. A couple of years ago, Dave spent the 2019 season with us as an analyst before taking the Northridge job. Uh, we haven't really, I don't think we've had Dave back on the podcast since he took the CSUN job. So we're we're going to get into what uh, the last two years have been like for him, uh, getting back in into the dugout after uh, spending a, a season uh, in the media and uh, just navigating all of the, the challenges that the last two years have thrown at him uh, and look ahead a little bit to uh, what the 2022 season brings for the Matadors. So we've got all that ahead today on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're, uh, we're going to get into it here with, uh, with, with Dave here in, in just a little bit. Uh, but like, let's make this a full-on Big West podcast day. And uh, let's also talk a little bit about UC Davis hiring a new coach in Tommy Nicholson. Uh, that went official on Thursday, December 16th. Um, which is when we're recording this. Um, but yeah, we're uh, also at Baseball America. We're working on the prospect handbook. So we've, uh, Joe and I have been kind of buried in that, but we've, uh, we're, we're, we're happy to, uh, to take a break from the, the process of getting that book ready to head to the publishers tomorrow uh, as we record this and, and talk a little college baseball here uh, on the podcast. Yeah, it comes at a, you know, the handbook, comes at a decent time for us. Fall ball is, is over. We are not yet fully in preseason preparation mode, although we are, as we've discussed on previous episodes, kind of uh, putting stuff together for that, starting the discussions anyway. So yeah, that comes at a good time. Um, you know, it was also a good time to, uh, you know, to have Dave on. It's nice to have Dave back on, but a good time for him because we were able to touch on some big picture stuff. Obviously, we're um, you know, not only because we have a relationship with him, but also, you know, I've I've found Dave and and you know, I wonder if this comes from his year in the media and also I think it comes from self-assuredness and his place in, in the world and in the coaching world, but he's pretty open about, um, things, you know, big picture, little, you know, his, his own team, um, you know, other, other players that, that he's seen, you know, the general state of college baseball, state of the big West, like he's, he's, he's pretty much an open book with a lot of that stuff, which is one of the reasons why he was good, a good fit for us when he worked with us, but also it's just kind of nice to, to chop it up with him a little bit. And so it was a good time to, to do that because we, you know, sure we talked about his team and I think that's an interesting team moving into 2022, especially considering um, what they've done so far in his tenure. Um, so I, you know, there was some of that, but really, you know, we had him on cause it's just kind of a good time to, to talk some big picture stuff. And, um, you know, given that we are kind of in this little bit of a lull in the calendar, not, not only in terms of the college baseball calendar, but also because yes, you and I behind the scenes have been, not so much college baseball writers over the last couple of weeks, as much as we have been prospect handbook writers and editors. Indeed. Um, let's, uh, I guess let's just get to Dave, you know, let's, uh, let's not belabor this point. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk a little further big West, a little UC Davis here uh, coming out of the interview, but uh, let's, let's get to the man himself. Uh, the Matador is coming off of uh, a pretty solid season. Um, 
played a conference only schedule there in the big west uh that was school policy decision um and uh you know finished kind of in the middle of the the, the pack there in the big west but uh definitely made some strides as a program and are going to be looked to uh looking to move up the ladder a little bit more here in uh in 2022 so uh we'll have dave serrano here in a second but first check this out Today, we are very excited to be joined by Cal State Northridge coach Dave Serrano, who, of course, is a veteran of this podcast. Uh, he did several of them with, uh, with Joe and I while uh, he was with us at Baseball America as a college baseball analyst uh, in the 2019 season. Since then, Dave, uh, you have gone back out west to the Big West, where you've been coaching Cal State Northridge the last couple of seasons. Uh, and it, it's been obviously a very eventful couple of years for you, uh, navigating everything that college baseball has thrown at you, um, you know, since, uh, s- since you left us after the 2019 season. So I guess, like, let's just uh, start broadly uh, and, and say what, what has that experience been like, uh, you know, jumping back into head coaching in a conference you're familiar with, but, but dealing with, you know, all of the, the COVID realities that you've had to over the last couple of years? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's great to be back with not only two great people, but two great advocates to college baseball. And I enjoyed my time that I spent with you guys uh, during that season but before I answer this question, Teddy, I want to ask you, do I have to, can I answer this with my mask on or off? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's been our, that's kind of been our lifestyle um, out in California and throughout the whole country. And I'm not making light of it because it's been a, a very cru- uh, bad pandemic for all of us, but it's been a, it, it's, it's been wonderful for me. It's um, I'm thankful for Northridge to giving me this opportunity to get back into college baseball. I don't feel I ever left it because I was with you guys during that season so I was connected to college baseball, but to be back uh, leading young men um, on the field, off the field in life uh, has been rewarding to me. I feel like I've uh, surrounded myself with great people of my coaching staff. Um, that's always very important. That's always been crucial throughout my career of any successes I've had. It's been the people I've been around that I've had around me. And I just feel like it's, um, it's rewarding to come back to the big West to kind of where it started for me. Um, I've seen it evolve. Um, there's been peaks and valleys of the big West. I think it's peaking again right now. There's a, a great group of wonderful coaches in this conference. Um, obviously when I was away from it, I always felt it was disrespected for the respect it should get for the kind of um, coaches and players that come through there. But I get it because we're not one of the power fives. But I think it's one of the power. It's one of the non-power fives that has uh, much recognition because of how many times it's in the postseason and in Omaha. So I feel honored to be back in the Big West and be part of that group and and to be running the Cal State Northridge program. I wanted to ask you how your year—not quite a year, but season anyway—one the season you spent with us, you know, away from coaching. Um, what way in which being a member of the media and kind of looking at the whole scope of college baseball and and chatting with us and being in the press box, you know, all that kind of stuff. What are some things maybe you took from that season that now have maybe changed a little bit of the way you do things, the way you think about college baseball? I guess basically what I'm asking is what's the way in which Teddy and I can take a little bit of credit for your success moving forward, Dave? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, and this is all joking aside that um, I give a lot of credit to baseball America, giving me that opportunity and Teddy and yourself and all the people connected to Baseball America, it kept my name out there. <clears throat> in fact, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was covering the series in, in Lexington, Kentucky, Georgia and, and Kentucky, back in 2019, um, I sat up in the press box and I got to start a very good conversation with one of the associate ADs for baseball for Georgia. And when this Northridge job came open, he he had come from USC. He was, had been previously the the associate athletic director at USC. And then my associate athletic director at Northridge is from USC. So when the Northridge job came open, he obviously had a good time talking to me and felt I had some knowledge to share. And in fact, he shared with me at the end of that weekend series, he says, he says, coach, you need to be back in college baseball. And when the season was over and the Northridge job came open, 
he immediately called me and said he had put a call into uh, my associate AD and said that you need to hire this guy. So I give full credit to what Baseball America did for me to keep me out there. But on the other side, for me, I felt I evolved as a, as a person, as a coach. Um, I've been pretty transparent about this. Um, I had six uh, wonderful years uh, leading University of Tennessee baseball, and I'll never forget that, even though it wasn't glorious years on the scoreboard. But I, I felt I lost myself during those six years of who I really was as a person. And sometimes when you can get into a small community that it's such a big thing, I've been at Big West uh, programs that, you know, you're in Southern California, not really that big of a deal until you go to Omaha. But in these towns, you're a big deal and you're paid uh, substantially well. And that's that wasn't who I was. That wasn't who I was when I was raised as a, as a young uh, as a child, as a young man and growing up. And I kind of lost my identity of who I was. And I think I lost focus of how to lead a program. So when I was that year, I was with you guys at Baseball America when you guys uh, graciously sent me around the country to, to cover some wonderful series. For the first time in my career, I was able to watch and learn other programs instead of competing against them. And I felt, I, I, I go on record as saying, I've said, shared this with many people, that year might have been the biggest growth year of my whole career. And I was even on the baseball field competing as a coach and, and teaching. I was learning myself and I was learning, uh, I was evolving as a coach, seeing how success, other successful coaches were doing it how um, the game has evolved. And I've walked away from that season realizing that I became a better coach and I feel I'm a better coach now at Northridge than I was at maybe some of my previous stops because I um, was able to reflect on my failures and what I needed to do to get back to being successful again. And I'm trying, I'm working every day to continue to build that at Cal State Northridge. You, you mentioned the Big West and how... <laughs> you know, it, it does or, or isn't, you know, regarded around the country, but it, it does seem like we're on a bit of an upswing for the Big West in, in the last couple of years. Uh, and this year probably won't be any different, especially with Brooks Lee, one of the, uh, the brightest prospects in the country playing in the conference. I imagine that that will bring more spotlight back to the league. What, what have you seen in these two years, um, you know, like you said, it had been close to a decade since you left the Big West to go to Tennessee. What what has changed uh, from from what you can see uh, about the Big West? And you know, it, it you've got a lot of of new faces in, in the coaching uh, you know fraternity there now. And 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 what what are those guys bringing to the league now? Well, I'm going to go back to say this, Teddy. Even when I was on the other side of the country leading Tennessee, I've always I always shared that I had so much respect for we have a new regime of coaches here in the big West now, but I always have had so much respect for the, the, the leadership of the coaching staffs in the big West conference. Um, I've always felt that being in this conference so long and now being back in it, that we have so many hurdles to overcome at our universities at every university in the big West. We don't maybe have it as easy as some of the power fives in regards to the finances, the resources, that other ones do. We do more with less, I believe. And I truly believe that about the Big West. The success that we've had in the postseason, the success we've had in Omaha has been done with more than less. And that's where I respect so many of these coaches. Of We're not just coaches. I mean, we're academic advisors. We're field, you know, we're, we're maintenance guys on the field. We're equipment managers. We do a lot. We wear a lot of hats. And that isn't just at Northridge. That's at every I've been at three universities in this conference and we wear a lot of hats um, where it has changed. We've had a, a change in, in leadership, but I think it's brought a, a new brightness to each and every program that um, that uh, is in the Big West. I'm excited you know, to see Rich Hill now join in, at Hawaii, to see Benny Orloff, one of my former um, players, leading Irvine and taking them to the heights that he has in such a short time. Um, there's a lot of good change to see the change at, at UC, um, UC Davis that just happened the other day. Um, there's a lot of youth coming up in the, in the, I'm probably one of the older statesmen now in the conference, but there's a lot of youth and a lot of good baseball guys that are going to continue to build this conference and make it um, as strong as it's ever been, to be honest with you. As Teddy alluded to, you know, much of your 
tenure has, uh, you know, probably not gone the way you would expect it just in terms of 2020 season gets canceled early last season, our conference only schedule after a period of time when, when practice was weird because of COVID protocols and, and all that. Um, so what has it been like now to, to get maybe a little bit more normalcy or what I have to assume is a little bit more normalcy throughout the fall, this past fall. And how has that been able to kind of change the, 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 the way you've gone about things and, and grow your players in a way that you probably didn't have much of an opportunity to do before the season last year? Well, that's a wonderful question. And, and you know, going back a little bit, Joe, uh, you know, I've been here, this is my third season. And in the two years I've been there, we've basically played a full season in two seasons. We played 15 games the first year. We played 40 last year. So we played 55 games over the course of two years, which is basically a full season, not even quite because it's 56 games that you're able to play before postseason. The biggest thing I saw, and, you know, we kind of recognize this as a coaching staff as we were going through the fall, this wasn't the first fall just for the freshmen in our program. This was the first fall for our sophomores in our program. We didn't have a fall last year. We didn't start up until March. So we didn't went through a fall season last year. So not only were our freshmen getting acclimated going through the fall season, our sophomores, our second year players were going through their first time of going through fall season. So it was different. I mean, it was, um, it was them trying to navigate through it with school. Um, with baseball, with weights, with conditioning. So it, it, it hit a big portion of our team because we do have a lot of um, a youth on this team. So it was, it was a lot of learning for not only the players, but for the coaches of having how to navigate through this. And we're excited. We, like you said, we're hoping for normalcy this year. We're hoping for a full slate of games. You know, there's, there's still the, the variants that are out there keep our fingers crossed that we have a full normal season across the country of college baseball and especially out in the big West. What were you able to learn last year about the team? I mean, everything, so, so much was different, no conference altered fall four game, uh, you know, series every weekend, but what, uh, what, what were you guys able to, to learn and, and, and what progress did you see? I saw progress within the program. I felt the standard was continuing to be raised. Um, I'll go back to the four game series. I think every big West coach that they will go back and, and were pulled over that, that was a mistake by us um, as coaches. Um, I was against it from the start. I didn't like the four game series. I didn't think that was fair to the student athletes, um, especially at the schools that didn't have fall workouts. I thought, you know, I'm not putting the Big West down, but um, I think any non-Power 5 conference, um, when you get to a four-game weekend series, I don't think any non-Power 5 conference is going to have that kind of pitching to navigate through that kind of weekend. Um, I especially felt that um, with, our pro, with our team, and I think you saw some of that in our Saturday games and the doubleheaders, and they weren't just seven-inning doubleheaders, they were nine-inning doubleheaders. I, I did see a... a I, I did see resiliency within our team. Those were tough weekends to get through, um, really tough weekends to get through. The 36 innings in four in three days um, with the travel, with, with schooling, without having a fall, of not getting their bodies in complete shape like they would a normal season. So I, I did see some resiliency, but I also saw some fatigue as the season went on later in the, in the, the weekends towards the end. Um, I thought it, it affected not only our team, but other teams, you saw some more injuries and it wasn't just, you know, where I was concerned being a pitching guy, I was concerned with the arms, but you saw it in the soft tissue of the position players of those, you know, those were long days. And that was the Saturdays were extremely long days of being on the field early in the morning and then going late at night. And uh, I mean, for our situation in Northridge, we don't have lights. So we had to start our double headers on Saturdays, at 11 in the morning. That meant our guys being in the locker room at eight o'clock in the morning and not getting off the field till five, six o'clock at night sometimes. So those were long days to flip back around and play on Sunday. So it was probably the resiliency that I that I saw within our team and the growth of some toughness that we need to continue to build within our program. Before we start to look ahead to the 2022 season, one more thing from, from me, at least on, on looking back, Denzel Clark was a guy on your team last year who was a really late riser in the draft process. His name got thrown around a lot as someone who had had some helium that obviously we saw where he got popped fairly early. Uh, what were teams seeing in him that they liked so much? What did you see from him last season? Well, I think it was the upside that they saw um, 
uh, you know, the upside was tremendous. I mean, I, I don't think I, I said this when he was with us. I didn't think that uh, Northridge, Cal State Northridge was going to see the best of Denzel Clark. I think his best will happen within the next two or three years when he finally hits his stride. Um, you know, again, another young man that was probably affected by not having a fall. He lives in Canada. So he was in Canada during the whole pandemic and during the winter months. I don't I'm not I'm not saying anything that someone doesn't know. There's not a lot of not a lot of place you can go out and work out in, in Canada during the winter. And he wasn't going to come back to California because that was all shut down. So I think that stunted his growth a little bit. Um, but there was there there's superstar status within him. Um, I comped him to a Lorenzo Kane, the kind of player that, you know, I think he could end up being. He's got some tower power from the plate. He can really run. I'd say the only he could really play center field as good as any center fielder that I've been around. And I've been around the guys like a Gary Brown who, who played at Cal State Fortin and many other good ones. Ollie Linton, who played for me at, at UC Irvine. And I think Denzel goes right to near the top, if not the top of how he played defense. I'd say the only thing that probably was a little deficient, there's two things. His consistency of at the plate, he had what a lot of people thought too much swing and miss, which I think he did a, a better job of cleaning up. And his arm strength wasn't probably top tier. It was playable enough and good enough, especially for a center fielder. But I know Denzel was back during the fall um, from um, from being in camp, and he had said that he had really worked hard on his on his arm strength. So. Once he can get that underneath him and gets a little bit more consistency at the plate, um, he's going to, I think he's going to play the game for a long time. As we look to 2022 now, obviously he's one of the players you, you have to replace. What, what did you, uh, what did you see uh, this fall and, and, and what, what are you still, you know, trying to figure out as you, as you run through permutations, looking at the 2022 season ahead of February? Well, we lost a lot of offense. We had a lot of older guys last year that had been in the program and gained that year back from the pandemic year. So we lost a lot of our elder statesmen, I should say, and guys that were thumpers in the middle of our lineup. I think the thing that probably the pandemic helped us, the shortened season helped us, the shortened draft helped us, is the fact that we got two of our better players back, Blake Sodderson on the mound, who didn't have his, didn't have the kind of year we anticipated out of him last year, but he's still our Friday guy coming back this year, which is huge for us, especially in now having a three-game weekend series instead of a four-game weekend series. Kai Moody, who's back, who I felt was one of the better players in the Big West last year, had I um, was uh, the batting uh, title champion in the conference. He is a he's kind of like I guess the best way to describe him. He's kind of like our Kobe Bryant. I mean, he kind of makes our team go. Um, he's uh, mentally tough. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. He plays the game the right way. We're very fortunate to get those two guys back. Um, with a longer draft, neither one of those guys would have been back. The other guy that's back is, is Blaine Traxel, Mr. Everything on the Mound. He can close. He can start. He closed games and started games for us last year. So what's so huge for us is in now in a three-game series with Sodderson back and Blaine Traxel back, which a lot of coaches in the Big West consider Blaine is one of the better pitchers in the Big West last year. He's not a he's not a stuff guy. He's a shorter stature guy that goes three arm angles, all kinds of different pitches. They're all for strikes. He competes his tail off. So to have him back and Blake back, along with our closer Blake Shriver, who had a uh, broke his hand after weekend three of our of, of our conference series last year. So we didn't have our closer back. So now a veteran back to close the games. So with those pieces back on the mound with Kai Moody back and Mason Lee and Brandon Boning, we feel like we have a very good nucleus. And I feel my coaching staff led by Eddie, Eddie Cornejo, my um, recruiting coordinator and now associate head coach, he's filled those, the pieces we've had, he's filled in other pieces of good youth that I feel, even though I feel the Big West is going to be very good top heavy with the, some of their better teams last year are, are reloaded again this year. I feel like we have a chance to compete with those teams this year as, as we move on. I want to ask you about in the lineup, you know, you, you obviously have Clark gone and Jason Newman as well, two guys who were two of your, two of your bigger bats. Um, and now obviously with, with Kai Moody back, you mentioned his name as, as a real catalyst type. Uh, 
do you think that maybe the lineup makeup means that you're going to have to score runs maybe a little differently in 2022 than you did in 2021? Or are you confident that, that you've got some guys who are going to provide a little bit of thump in the middle in, in um, with Clark and, and Newman not around? Well, we have some guys with some thump, but you're, you're, you're exactly right, Joe. We're going to have to be a little different offense. We're going to have to be able to manufacture runs more. Um, you know, we play in a pretty offensive ballpark. Um, so it's hard to be, um, I hate the term small ball. Um, I like to call it, you know, to win games, baseball. Um, we're going to have to be more of a team that's going to have to be really efficient on the bases. We're going to be able to be a very good hit and run team. I feel like, I feel like in my third year, this will be the deepest and the best pitching staff that we will have by far. Um, we're going to play very good defense. Scoring runs is going to be is going to be something we're going to have to continue to work on. We showed some signs during the fall. I feel we got better offensively, but we're going to have to continue to get better to be able to manufacture runs um, from the offensive side because we did lose so much thump. I think two guys that are key guys, um, new guys coming in, Joey Kramer, a transfer, um, a JC transfer, um, and then a, an outfielder named Andrew Soika from Cypress Junior College. Um, uh, Joey's from Santa Rosa Junior College and Andrew's from Cypress Junior College. Both those guys recruited in to, to replace the thump that we missed. Those are going to be two big guys, along with a transfer from USC named Bart West that, that transferred um, in. So those three guys, if they're not hitting the middle of our lineup, then we'll really struggle. If they're hitting the middle of our lineup and producing, then we've replaced some of those guys that we lost last year. As a, a guy with so much track record as a, as a pitching coach and, and developing pitching, I mean, what, what is it about the the staff that you have right now that, that gives you that confidence? Well, as I, I already shared the three names, uh, Soderston, Traxel, and Shriver. Then we got a, a transfer from the University of San Diego, Lucas Braun, that I really like uh, a lot. He had a tremendous fall, um, was ranked pretty close to number one in all our categories throughout the fall. He's going to add that third dimension um, in our rotation. There's another guy who's pushing him named Ryan Wentz, who last year as a freshman came in, had good stuff, just couldn't find the strike zone consistently enough. Ryan has worked, Wentz has worked as hard as anybody um, to develop himself and is really pushing those guys in the starting rotation each and every day to to become one of those guys. And if he's not one of those guys, then he'll be a, a very, very good middle relief guy or a midweek starter for us at least. So um, that guy with some of the guys we have returning, Chad Wilson, um, Kyle Hoskins out of the bullpen, uh, a young left-hander named Isaac Ontiveros that I really like. So there's pieces along with many other pieces that is going to make, it's going to allow us to have different looks and a lot of depth on the mound. This, uh, you've mentioned some of the names in this most recent recruiting class, but I know it's a class that, that you and your staff are really excited about it and might be the best one Northridge has had in, in a decade or so. Um, what has you just excited about the group uh, in general? They want to win for the right reasons. They came to Northridge for the right reasons. There's not a lot of frills that you're going to get at Northridge. Um, you know, it's just it's a place that you can develop as a baseball player and grind. And I think they came there. I believe they came there for those reasons. The name I don't want to go go unnoticed is probably the prize of the class is a shortstop named Ali Camarillo that I think is going to be a young man that you guys are going to talk about and hear about over the next three years of his of his career here. Uh, very good player, uh, very flashy shortstop is going to be an offensive shortstop. Um, a lot of kudos to Coach Cornejo for being able to land that young man to Northridge. He's a he's a very good player, and. You know, he's in a battle with Brandon Boning, who was our returning shortstop last year. He's in a battle with him at shortstop right now. Both those guys will end up on the field. Um, obviously, we can only play one at short at a time. But one, whoever doesn't win the shortstop position will, will be moved to another position, probably second base, maybe even third base. We have a luxury of having Mason Lee, the two shortstops, that um, they're all pretty flexible and um, uh, the best one will play short, and then we'll find out who's our best third baseman and, and second baseman, which, which will allow us to have a very good defense with three pretty good three guys that came in as shortstops that are playing three uh, that two of them will be playing other positions. So it, it's a very good class of guys that are good baseball players. A lot of them are freshmen right now, but when they get some time underneath them and continue to develop, I feel that 
the coaches have put together a recruiting class that I feel can really push soon for that Big West um, uh, championship. You, you mentioned among newcomers some some transfers, and obviously the that that is one of the things that has changed here in college baseball recently is the one time transfer exception going, uh, you know, being reinstated and. and players no longer having a city year without transferring. There's also been uh, the name, image, and likeness changes wherein players can can make money off of that as well. I don't know how much uh, you know anyone in baseball has seen of that so far uh, in terms of NLI, just the, those rules going into effect just in, in July. But between that, between the, the transfer rules changing, I mean, how are you navigating some of these new uh, realities of, of college baseball? To be honest with you, Teddy, it's a, it's a, for a guy like me who's, who's known more to be old school than new school, trying to become more new school, it, it's a little scary, um, to be honest with you. I see, you know, we're talking a different sport, but I see what's going on in, in college football. Um, I saw Lane Kiffin's comments the other day that it's become like free agency now. The difference is it's not long-term contracts, it's one-year contracts. I, I fear for places like Northridge. I fear for places like the Big West schools that um, uh, some of these players can be poached by um, uh, bigger places that have more resources, that have more facilities, more things. Um, kids like, like that kind of stuff. Um, hopefully they could stay loyal to where they decide to go. But it, it is a little scary as we, as we venture forward in this world. Um, I'm still on the fence, whether it's great for college athletics as a whole, it's great for the student athletes. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful for the student athletes, especially in the sport of baseball, where we were, we're an equivalency sport where nobody, probably 99% of the guys are paying their way to go to school um, and play baseball. So I think any help is, is welcome, but it, it is a scary thing because kids sometimes will flock to what they feel is more and better for them. Um, from a financial um, state of mind. So it is a little scary in that regards, but it is wonderful for the student athletes that this has been passed. We'll just see how it's all going to play out as it goes, because as you already saw, the transfer portal this summer was thousands of kids. Um, and I think sometimes kids think that's the easy way to go about it. But um, uh, I think where you start, where you finish, sometimes sometimes can be more gratifying in regards to the relationships you build throughout your career and, and, and moving forward. We'd be remiss if we didn't, you know, we've asked you some big West questions, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you for your impressions of, of Brooks Lee, who is going to be a big name in that conference uh, this coming season, already a big name in that conference, going to be probably one of the first names heard called in the 2022 draft. You caught Cal Poly early last season. So it probably wasn't the best version of anybody, frankly, that early in the season. But uh, what were your impressions of, of Brooks Lee as a player? Well, let me tell you my first impression of him. And that was during batting practice of the Friday game. And I saw him hitting balls out like he was hitting golf balls and in driving range. Um, big time power, um, especially from the left side. Um, Probably needs a little bit more work from the right side. He isn't quite as dominating as he is the left side. When Brooks probably hears this or Larry hears this, he'll probably continue to work on the right side to become even better. But um, the thing that impressed me was how he picked up the baseball in the field and played catch all the time from the defensive standpoint. Now, I'm not the one that will end up deciding in the end um, whether he plays shortstop or not. I feel he can play shortstop at the next level. He can also be a great third baseman or a great second baseman. Um, he's a surefire guy for me. I mean, it, it's, it's a no brainer for me. I mean, the power's there. Uh, the baseball IQ is there. Um, the fielding ability, the, the able to play catch with enough arm strength is there. Um, he's, he's the total package in my mind. And I'm glad that he's in the big West, not that we get to compete against him in our first series in the big West again this year. But it's good for the Big West to have such a staple of a player that's going to bring a lot of notoriety to a lot of other good clubs in, in our conference, too. All right, Dave, we will wrap up the way uh, as, as you are technically a guest here, although it does feel like uh, this, this podcast has felt like 
you know, slipping on a, a, an old sweatshirt that just fits right. You know, like it's, it's just very familiar. It's been nice to, to hear your voice on the, on the pod again, but we will, uh, because you are a guest here, we will yes. ask you the question that we end all of our interviews with our guests and that, uh, and I will, I will ask the question that I will filibuster to give you a second to think about it, but we ask all of our guests to describe their favorite sandwich. And I know, Dave, you, do, you were doing a good job with your health. I don't know, you know, when we were working with you, you were, you know, we, Teddy talks about seeing you in Omaha out there, you know, after we'd get back from a game late, you were on the treadmill and you were, you were working hard at it. So I don't know how many sandwiches uh, you're eating these days, but um, we figured we'd ask you for your favorite one. Um, different coaches have answered this different ways. Um, some coaches describe a sandwich they make at home, a sandwich they just, that is their go-to. We get a lot of peanut butter and jelly answers. We get a lot of turkey sandwich answers. Some coaches give us the name of a sandwich or a type of sandwich they get at a local place, you know, a place they like to go to that's close to campus or on campus or uh, close to home, all those kinds of things. So um, we will ask you then, Dave Serrano, to please describe your favorite sandwich. Well, I go back and forth on that. As you were talking, Joe, I'm going through my mind. The easy question, the easy answer would have been peanut butter and jelly, uh, but I don't want to do easy. This my the next thing that came to my I mind believe. is a meat. My the next one that came to my mind is a meatball sandwich that I'm always very fond of. Mm. I am trying to keep up on my health. In fact, when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to get on the treadmill actually. But um, probably my go-to and my favorite is, um, and I, I don't have an nil deal with them. So I'm not using this to get more money, but um, is Jersey Mike's, the Italian sandwich. Um, I'm very fond of the Italian sandwiches because I like the different taste of the salamis. Um, I usually get that with some pepper jack. I don't go Mike style. I think what they call it, where they put in all the, 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 the sauces and all that. I don't right. like a sloppy sandwich. I like a clean sandwich because I don't want to go back to the office and have Italian sauce down my shirt or mustard down my shirt <laughs> or mayonnaise down my shirt. Um, so I'm a pretty simple guy, but I like the different taste of the, the different salamis they put on there. And like I said, with the pepper jack, um, usually I throw a couple pickles on there with some black olives, no lettuce. And that's my go to. Yeah, you. Uh, so that has been a fairly popular answer in different different ways. Um, we, we've heard some version of an Italian sandwich a few times. You, you will get a disagreement from uh, old Mrs. Mike Bianco, though. He uh, he 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 described it to us like he wants as kind of sloppy as possible on the Italian sandwich. Cause he likes, <laughs> he likes when the bread kind of soaks up the oil and the vinegar and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I get that, but I also understand your state from your standpoint, you don't want uh, you know, you don't want to drip it all over you. So I get it. I'm not a soggy bread kind of kind of guy. I, I, yeah, I am not enough. a soggy bread type of guy. Kudos to Mike for liking it to be soaked like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Dave, like Joe said, this was this is like putting on an old sweatshirt. We uh, we are happy to have you here, and uh, we appreciate you uh, you taking the time. And uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch watch the doors over the last couple of years, and and we'll be uh, we'll be watching carefully again this spring, and uh, you know excited to see where where you can go in the the Big West standings from here. Teddy, thank you, and Joe, thank you, and and it's wonderful to be back on with you guys. Like I said. Uh, that year that we were together, I'm very fond of not just to you guys, but Baseball America. And any time I could ever spend with you guys is always welcome. And thank you again for everything you guys do for our sport and college baseball. Thank you again to CSUN coach Dave Serrano for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, the the doors, you know, we, we alluded to some of the, the challenges that they, they dealt with, but they they still were an intriguing team in 21 Denzel Clark obviously was a big part of that. Um, but you know, they, uh, they brought on a lot of new players last year. Um, and, uh, they, they were able to make an impact and, and you heard about some of that, the, the pitching that they have there. And, and to me, like, that's kind of what, what continues to stand out about this team, which is no surprise given Dave's background, uh, as a pitching coach. Yeah. I think we'll always wonder a little bit about that 2020 CSUN team. Uh, maybe they were, maybe the record, the results early were maybe a little better than what that team was. However, it's undeniable. They were off to a really good start in 2020. If I have it right, did they, who did they have the week after COVID hit? They got canceled. I forget who they had on the schedule and, and you know, Dave or whoever else listening to this back is probably uh, screaming it at me at their, their, their uh, phone right now. But they, you know, they, I feel like they had a big series right before the season or yeah, right after the season got canceled, it would have been a nice, 
measuring stick series uh, for them. And I'm looking at it now. Yeah, they had Iowa, um, you know, coming out of what ended up being. They were 10 and five and they had uh, started the season off, uh, was that six and oh, seven and oh, um, before they went and lost a series at a four game series, it should be said at UCF. Uh, and then they'd split against Gonzaga. So they, they started, they were one of the last, uh, maybe not one of the last undefeated teams, but they were undefeated a fair, um, you know, through two weekends, uh, playing a challenging schedule overall. And yeah, they, they had Iowa coming out to, to Northridge that, that weekend. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the <laughs> traveling Hawkeyes under Rick Heller always game for like kind of a random series like that, but yeah, so they, they played some, some decent competition and they had that, that big series coming up. So I think we'll always wonder a little about that, but you know, even last year, um, you know, I, I think they kind of much like long beach state. Like I think I liked last year's long beach State team probably more than Northridge, but they were kind of in a similar boat where it just was going to be really hard unless they won the daggum big West, which they weren't really in position to do not the least of which because Irvine was, was excellent last year, but even if that wasn't the case, just given what they dealt with, that was going to always be tough for them. Um, and then on top of that, you look at what they, they had last year and, and big West play and, and their schedule was so front loaded that like, it's, it really is kind of impressive. They came back to the degree they did, but you know, they started off with Cal Poly, Long Beach, Irvine, and UC Santa Barbara, the first four weekends of the season, like good. And they, and they did acquitted themselves fairly well. They split most of those series. So that's just a, a really rough, rough go of it. Um, but certainly he seems to have things headed in the right direction. He talked pretty glowingly about what he has coming back and, and what he has coming in. And it's a job where you have to understand kind of um, what you're up against at Northridge. It's, it's the kind of place that a lot of West coast coaches will tell you like, yeah, that the right guy can win there. And Oh, by the way, I don't just say this because we're friends with Dave, but you know, I've, I've had several coaches independent of anything else tell me like, you know, he's the guy that, that could win out there. Like, you know, he's just, you know, knows how to win on the West coast, knows how to win in the big West, um, knows how to do more with less. Um, but it's the kind of place that West coast coaches will tell you, you know, the right guy can win out there, but it's tough. Like it's really, really tough. Um, it's just crowded and they don't have a lot of bells and whistles as Dave admits. Um, so you have to kind of understand the context there. Um, it's going to kind of, it was going to be a slow build for any coach that ever got CSUN really going in the right direction. I think that's what you're seeing here. So I'm going to be fascinated by the progress that we see in 2022. And, and to Dave's point, it's really not even fair of us to point to 2022 and say, show us some progress because they've really only played one full season through two years during his, ten, his time there. Yeah, uh, 21 to 19 last year, three and five against Irvine and Santa Barbara, the top two teams in the standings, the two teams that uh, that made it to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, that I mean, they finished tied for fourth um, in, the, in the Big West uh, with, with uh, you know, just Long Beach State in addition to Irvine and, and Santa Barbara finishing ahead of them. So, yeah, it's uh, considering everything that they went through, considering that everyone out there was playing non-conference games except for them and uh and beach and even beach did get to pick up like three non-conference games uh somewhere along the way like that it, it says a lot about what they what they did last year and you know they they've got some holes to fill but you know they they returned some interesting talent it's not an easy league this year um you know you look at what irvine returns which is most of the team that ran away with the big west title last year and santa barbara is still really talented and beach is really talented and cal poly has the best player uh in the conference in the region maybe in the country um yeah so there's there's a lot to contend with out there at the top of the league but you know i I, like you said joe they've been building and, and it will be very interesting to see where where they go um in 22 i mean he brings up a a good point too um you know, coaches all along the West Coast, particularly coaches that have Big West ties, will always tell you, always, always, always tell you to the point where Teddy and I kind of, I don't mean just, just rope you in this, Teddy, but I feel confident you feel this way. We've had these conversations offline enough to know that sometimes we bristle a little bit at the idea of the Big West being disrespected um, because the Big West, the Big West, pardon me, stubs its toe too often for that totally to be the case, right? That, the conference does not always or does not even often do a good job of 
doing what it needs to do to put itself in position to get more teams into the postseason. You have to win some non-conference games. And I understand it's harder because you're way out West. So for budgetary reasons, for convincing people to come play you at a conference all the way on the West coast for all that stuff, it's hard to do, but you, that's, that's the game you're playing here. Regardless, there is something to that though, I think. And I think what I would tell you is that it's impressive what Santa Barbara has done under under Andrew Chekets. It's impressive what it feels like UC Irvine is building and frankly what UC Irvine did under Mike Gillespie and Dave before him. Um, and of course, setting aside what Fullerton has done historically, because you look around that conference and they really do overachieve. Like and had, if most of those schools were not in the location where they are, it would be a lot harder for them to do that. So yes, they do have the advantage of like, you can't swing a cat without hitting five or six guys who could play shortstop at the division one level among prep players. But at the same time, that's kind of where the advantages end for the big West. And so I do agree the conference is at, on an upswing right now. I don't, I think that's totally undeniable. Like I really like what the big West has now more than at any other point when I've been covering college baseball intensively, but at the same time, because they're just behind in things like facilities and in general investment in baseball, it's just going to be hard for the big West to be really any more than what they've been. And it doesn't mean teams, individual teams can't get to Omaha from that conference. We've seen that time and time again, but the idea that the conference could as a whole kind of, you know, bring itself up to being something more than it has been. It's just, it's a hard lift because the limitations are just the limitations. Yeah. It's uh, they're in a tricky spot there, obviously um, caught up in a lot of bigger realities, not even just of college athletics, just of college, the, the broader college missions, um, that, that, that the realities of, of what these universities are. But I mean, you look at Irvine, Santa Barbara beach, um, what they've been able to do in recent years, uh, Cal Poly again is, been as consistent as any team in the league and has the best player the conference has produced in an awful long time uh and if they can just get fullerton going again or get somebody like hawaii uh or northridge or or, you know somebody else to to kind of take the next step i mean it, it becomes a really really competitive league um it with 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 some real depth to it so it's an exciting time for the conference and uh an exciting time for for the matadors as as they look to to contend uh for for a regional appearance which hasn't been done at csun in in quite some time at this point yeah i mean that's that's um as we segue to like other things here i mean i think that's kind of for me when i look at the big west and when i wrote about the big west a couple of years ago Um, that's definitely a story that I'll want to revisit as time goes on, maybe a couple of years from now. Um, because I think there are aspects of it that could be kind of built out a little bit, but I think that is kind of a next step for the big West here is, is okay. You clearly have like a group of teams, whether it's a historical power, like Fullerton, whether it's the, the nouveau riche, like Santa Barbara or Irvine. Um, you know, if if you want to assume that one of these other teams kind of gets it together a little more and start challenging for regionals. Okay. But um, can you do a little bit like what the, what, you know, some other emerging conferences have done, um, like the big 10, for example, big 10 used to be very Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio state centric. And now you get a little mix of, you obviously get Indiana, but you get a little mix of Iowa, you get a little mix of Illinois, um, you know, a couple of other teams that kind of bounce it, you know, Michigan state periodically, um, those teams Waiting kind of, for you to mention the Huskers. So the Nebraska, Nebraska fans right. Mad. Well, I, cause I think of them as more of like a big 12 program. That's going to be my excuse. Um, <laughs> so yeah, obviously Nebraska, um, and Maryland, so the Maryland, there Turks you go. See, I mean, we're just rolling right now, <laughs> adding on to the list, but that's what the big 10 has done. Right. I mean, it's gone from a conference that had like a handful of programs that were carrying the banner. At one point I did the math on it and just an absurd percentage of the, of the NCAA tournament bids from the big 10 for a large swath of its history came from Michigan and Ohio state. Minnesota, basically, that has really expanded as that conference has expanded. And I think that's one of the next challenges for the Big West is you do have these programs in this conference, CSUN, UC Davis, who we'll talk about here shortly, um, in the new programs, Bakersfield, and obviously UC San Diego is moving up. 
those are programs that just don't typically contend for this. And they have, you know, Bakersfield has gotten to a regional before, albeit a different conference. UC Davis got there in 2008, you know, CSUN got there at one point, but there's just not this sustained success there. And they've just got to find these pro some programs from the bottom of this conference to just be a little more competitive year to year, um, or to at least go through cycles. Cause right now it does feel like you kind of have a defined top and bottom. And I think that needs to be a little more competitive top to bottom for this league to, to, to do anything to be more upwardly mobile. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously that that's kind of where, where the whole thing comes from because they've had, and we've talked about this before, they, they have college world series contenders. They have super regional caliber teams every single year. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the next teams behind them. And, and that's sometimes been a challenge. So the more, the more teams they engage in that conference, the better. And, you know, we're seeing it, you know, it, it, it has happened that, um, you know, some of it, you're seeing teams win the Big West for the first time in a long time. And some of that is because Fullerton is not winning the Big West right now. Uh, but some of that is also because Long Beach State has gone better than, than they were for a period. And, and Santa Barbara is better now than they ever have been. And, and Irvine, uh, you know, went through a little bit of a fallow stretch and, and now is, is really good again. And, and the more teams they can get doing that, the better. Uh, to talk about one of the teams in the the bottom end of the big West. You know, we, we've talked about UC Davis here on the podcast uh, this year, and it's been in, in the last few months, it, it's been in relation to the, uh, the investigation into uh, allegations of, of hazing and other wrongdoing uh, within the program. And um, that has been going on since July or had been going on since July. They, they wrapped up the investigation uh, I guess that was in early November, uh, resulted in um, uh, the, the the report showed that there had been hazing and the coaching staff didn't necessarily, um, you know, it, it found that, that the head coach had known about it, but not necessarily the assistants. And ultimately that led to uh, a, a change of, of the head coach and for a while, the Aggies weren't able to um, practice or engage in other team activities. And then that was lifted and they were able to do it, but it was with an interim staff. And then they went into the process of looking for a new head coach. And so we're, we're here to talk about Davis in a little, little happier times. They have found a new head coach and it is Tommy Nicholson who comes to UC Davis uh, after spending the last few years as an assistant coach at Stanford prior to that, he, uh, I guess he was at Sac State for like a year. Uh, prior to that, he was at Texas for several years under Augie Garrido. Um, he is a really good head coaching candidate. Um, he's he's done a lot of time working at, at Texas and Stanford and and at Sac State too. Work, working under some really good head coaches and Dave Esker and Reggie Christensen and Augie Garrido and and I uh, I I think. UC Davis should be very excited that that they were able to hire Tommy Nicholson as their head coach. I think it's a, a fantastic get. And that, you know, regardless of what the last few months have been, if they had made this hire and and they hadn't just gone through this tumultuous period, I think that would still be true. And I think it's definitely true because they're making a head coaching hire in December, which is not the typical time you look at this. Uh, they're getting Tommy Nicholson to leave Stanford. Uh, just a couple months before the season begins, a season in which we think Stanford can make a return to Omaha, can contend for a Pac-12 title, and um, you know he's willing to uh, to to pass on that this year to to start his head coaching career uh, at Davis. Yeah, you I mean you said it there. It's it's unbelievable that you know the the timing. I, like I kind of just went into you know, watching the UC Davis story unfold, I just kind of went in assuming that I didn't think they'd stick to this, like, you know, the, the weird interim thing, I would say weird, but because the, they were in a tough spot, but the, the, the unique thing they were doing with, you know, kind of the, the, the interim coaches that were all kind of from the outside. And really, I have to imagine those guys were just caretakers to make sure that <laughs> the team had somebody to kind of put them through some work during the fall. Right. So I kind of assumed they would do some version of interim you know, in 2022, whether it was, I, I didn't assume it'd be that same group of guys, but I thought maybe there'd be 
you know, somebody they'd, they'd pull in to do that. Um, so the idea that not only are they, they making a hire, but they made, they made such an impressive hire that to your point would have been impressive in a normal coaching cycle without all of the, the, the drama and the scandal, you know, Tommy Nicholson is, is it, it, they got Tommy Nicholson to leave a job as an assistant at what will probably be the favorite in the PAC 12, uh, going into the 2022 season. Um, that's incredible. Like that is, I have to admit two or three standard deviations better than the, the type of coach that I would, that I would have assumed UC Davis got. And perhaps it's, it's at a period of time, you know, maybe motivations are, are an interesting thing in, in humans, not just in coaching, but, you know, maybe Tommy Nicholson just felt like this is my time. Like I'm ready to be a head coach and I don't want to move to another part of the country. Like I, I, I don't want to have to take, I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, completely uproot and, and, and do something else. I want to be in a, an area that I'm comfortable in, you know, in, in a, in a, you know, a, a conference that, although he's not had a lot of experience in the big West, but it, it, just in that area, you know, so maybe there was a lot of that that went into it. Um, but it's one of those hires that has me thinking it, it's one of those hires that makes me wonder if there's something about the UC Davis job, whether that was always true or is newly true. Um, that makes that job a little bit better than I've been assuming that it was, you know? Um, so we'll have to see, uh, you know, maybe it'll work. Maybe we, you know, we don't with coaching hires. We, we tend to, my official stance on coaching hires is that we shrug our shoulders and just say, Hey, we'll see how it goes. But uh, certainly in terms of track record, this was feels like about as good as UC Davis could have gotten, not just in the, in the context of the situation, but more like in general. Yeah. I, uh, they, they couldn't usually, if you see a head coaching change in December, um, they go with an interim coach and they go with an interim coach to the spring and just, you know, maybe, maybe that guy works his way into the, the, the permanent gig that, that certainly happens um, happened at Southern, for instance, when Carrick Jackson left Southern uh, to become the president of the MLB draft league last Thanksgiving Southern appointed uh, Chris Crenshaw, uh, who at the time was Southern's recruiting coordinator to be the interim head coach. And uh, the hope was, I, I think, that, that he would do well enough to, to be the head coach, but they didn't put that tag on him initially. Southern goes out, they win the SWAC tournament, and Chris Crenshaw is now your, your they, they removed the interim tag and he's just the Southern head coach but they went through the spring with that potentially being an opening. Um, Ohio U did the same thing when Rob Smith retired in like January. Um, they, they did interviews. Uh, they wound up not doing anything and just removing an interim tag. But we also see it where they, they go in different directions. Like the, you go through the interim process and, and then at the end of the year, they say, nope, we're, uh, we're going to open up a full search and they go and they do something else. Uh, I guess Davis didn't really have that option because they needed a clean, clean slate. They still could have probably found a coach that they hired as like an interim or um, like in, in the Premier League in England, they would call it like a caretaker coach. Like right now, Manchester United has a caretaker coach for the rest of the year with the understanding that Ralph Rangnick uh, like is going to move into the front office after this year and Manchester United will have another coaching search. And like, I, maybe Davis could have done something like that, but instead they, they go out and, and, you know, they, they get, they get their guy. And so congratulations to them and to, to Tommy Nicholson. I imagine this year is going to be difficult. Um, the only time I can really like, like the, the only relevant comparison I can really think of is Auburn when Butch Thompson came in, in the fall of 2015, in the wake of Sonny Galloway getting fired um, because of NCAA violations. Uh, that was very, that was a very messy firing. It was a very late hiring um, Butch got hired in October, but Auburn had completed their fall already. He didn't get, he didn't get a fall with them. Uh, and Auburn was not good that spring, but, uh, they, they've been quite good since, uh, under Butch Thompson. So I, I, I guess Davis's 
that that's maybe the best case scenario for for ucd that um the spring is whatever it is but then in uh next summer at looking ahead into 2023 you kind of start fresh and and figure it out from there well you heard here first if it's like auburn uh uc davis in the college world series in like three years confirmed that's, um, <laughs> and the like, number one draft pick uh to boot that's right that's right yeah, it's, it's um, and also there's a number one draft pick already on the roster because Casey Mize was already on the Auburn roster. That's right. See, it's that easy for UC Davis. <laughs> it's just right there. It's there for the taking. And this will be one I'll be interested to talk to maybe some talk to some people about as time goes on. Um, just because I, because I do wonder if if and obviously we'll probably not know, you know, some of the details of, of this situation only Tommy Nicholson and the administration at UC Davis knows. But I do wonder if there's something that I've just been missing about this open because this job opening hasn't, you know, Matt Vaughn, the previous coach, had been there quite a while. Rex Peters before him had been there for a decent amount of time. So it's not a job that popped open that often. So there's just not a lot, and they're not relevant really. They haven't been. So there's just not a lot of conversation about UC Davis baseball. Um, and to the extent they've been relevant in the last couple of years, it's all been for all the wrong reasons. So um I, I'm kind of interested to talk about this one a little bit with people because maybe there's something I'm missing. I know that I mean history is not really on their side, although. 2008 uh, is their only regional appearance. They were an at-large, which I always find interesting. It's not like they just, uh, you know, got lucky. I don't want to say lucky, but, you know, they had one year and they won the Big West and, you know, they, they were an at-large team there. Um, so that that's not, you know, the history is not there. Um, the facility is kind of on par with the rest of kind of the so-so Big West facilities. There's, there's no lights. Um, it's, you know, pretty, pretty basic um although it does seat 3500 so it's pretty big um it's a little bit of a graveyard uh, from what i've heard it's pretty pretty pitcher friendly park all that's not all that unique out on the west coast so um that's not necessarily that um uc davis is a highly academic school it's one of those schools that most people probably wouldn't think of just right away unless you have knowledge of it uh, of being being pretty academic um so that can cut both ways um you know it's not stanford but um, you know, that, so that can cut both ways a little bit. There are going to be students who are interested in that piece of it. So you, you may have a, a, a foot in the door with a certain subset of students. It also obviously does make it harder because you're recruiting a smaller percentage of the available players. They're also in an area, I mean, they're, they're west of Sacramento. So they are in California, but they're not, certainly not in SoCal. Uh, they're not even really in the Bay Area. So, you know, it's not like their access to elite talent at the prep level is, is what it is for a lot of the rest of the Big West. So, I say all that to say I'll, I'll be kind of interested to have further conversations about this one because because maybe there is something I'm just missing about about this job and, and that's not me talk I mean any any I always say this any job that looks like it's not a good job could become a good job if you hire the right coach right I mean history is littered and current college baseball is littered with examples of places that were not good jobs until the right guy came along and changed the perception of that job started winning a whole bunch and now they're thought of as good jobs because a lot of stuff comes in the classic chicken and egg, a lot of stuff comes after you start winning. Um, so this could be one of those, certainly. Um, but I'll be interested to find out, A, as we see as time goes on, and B, just as I have uh, conversations with people about the opening itself. All right. So we'll uh, we'll definitely be tracking the Big West throughout uh, the, the, the 2022 season, but a lot to be interested out there. And, and now you can add uh, UC Davis to uh, to that list. There are four new head coaches in in the conference so uh a lot of newness to to that league uh also fresh off the uh big west news uh wire i guess uh yesterday uh december 15 uc irvine announced a contract extension for ben orloff who was mentioned for some jobs this last cycle but not like not not nothing really i i don't think got got crazy there in part because the only west coast jobs that opened were in arizona or the only pac-12 jobs that opened were in arizona uh and utah uh which didn't quite feel right for him but if he had keeps winning at, at irvine his name's gonna keep popping up but uh he he did sign a contract extension uh there at his alma mater and so for the uh for the next few years at least he's uh he's locked in there at uci former baseball america college podcast guest uh ben orloff i, I should mention it's the, Do uh, you remember the, when he was on oh it's probably been in the last six weeks yeah it's been pretty recent 
that's the BA podcast bump. That's what I like to call it. I'll Pull take the it. podcast, get a, uh, a link Jared, by the way, I just got, uh, you know, the release came out link Jared just got a, an extension through 2026 and he was on the podcast recently. So look, yeah. I'm not like, I get correlation causation, not always the same thing, but look, I'm just laying out facts and asking questions, you know, like, could it be a BA podcast bump? We don't know, but it, it, it could be, it's certainly not, not that. You know, you win a conference title like Notre Dame and UCI did, you know, maybe that's what's getting it done, but you know, you win a conference title and get invited on the baseball America college podcast. I mean, that's just another thing to show to your bosses. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. I'd like to imagine the eighties, these universities are just like listening to the podcast. And they're like, mm, these guys are making some good points. Jack Swarbrick like, is like, these guys, guy <laughs> yeah, they liked, they liked my baseball coach enough to bring him on the podcast. Let's uh, let's make sure that keeps happening. You lock this guy down. All right, so that's going to do it for us here on the Baseball America College podcast this week. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you know which coaches are going to get a contract extension uh, a few weeks before it happens. Um, You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. You can find the Baseball America podcast and hit subscribe. And if you're so inclined, review, rate, we appreciate all of that as well. You can read all the work over at baseballamerica.com, or you can also pre-order your copy of the Baseball America Handbook, which includes the top 30 prospects for all 30 big league organizations. Uh, so if you're interested, you got some time to, to hit pre-order here as we uh, as we are just now putting a bow on, on – uh, on that wonderful book that we we produce on an annual basis here at Baseball America. Uh, So check all of that out. Joe and I will be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. It'll come a little earlier in the week. Obviously next week uh, is start of a start of the holidays in earnest with Christmas Eve on Friday. So I would look forward in your feeds earlier in the week rather than later. If you are a subscriber, For Joe, I'm Teddy. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting this edition and every edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.